Notes from the Upper West Side, a novel by Dan Wrench. Chapter 15, Little Round Jewish Hat. Back to the Black Box Theater at Midtown and that first day of shooting, Little Round Jewish Hat. Bang, that's Bangalore Springfield, the faux Indian stand-up comic who asked me about Libby and Parp, decided he needed the eyebrow lining after all and went to find Makeup Babe. I went and got some more coffee from one of the coffee boxes on the donut table and stared at the pretty dark stand-in under the light that Parp was focusing. You remember the stand-in? The one who said she thought Oprah was a frigid twat? Yeah, she was a babe. She was sitting on an aluminum chair with her legs straddling the back, only the back wasn't solid, it was like a frame with thin metal slats, so you could see through to the tight jeans over her spread legs. I was staring at the thin layer of denim over her cunt and she caught on. I got a smile from her, but I didn't do anything. Fuck me. I forgot all about that until just now writing it out. I was at the beginning of a flirt with this babe, and then stuff happened, and I'm just remembering this loose string now, five months later. I bet I could have balled her. If I can find the contact sheet, I bet I still can. Right then, all I could think about was how great it was to be in that theater instead of in Square World. I was in a place where I could glance at a cunt and get caught by the owner of said cunt and have her smile instead of start screaming like I raped her. I was safe. I was home. And I had to beat a bitch just so I could spend the day here instead of at Chuck E. Cheese, I thought. Somebody give me a gun so I can blow out my fucking brains. We were all sweating. It was March and getting toward April, so it wasn't what you would call hot in New York. But the lights were pretty intense in that small space, so somebody clicked on the air conditioner and Makeup Babe did another round of touch-ups on the actors. So, okay, one thing I've always wanted to ask you libertarians is this. Lenny Payne called up to Parp. I had navigated back to where I was standing with Bang, only now Lenny was standing next to me. What? How do you defend countries like Guatemala and El Salvador? Parp didn't say anything for a long time, just kept playing with this big light, aiming it down at the sweet snatch in the aluminum chair. Then finally he said, I don't get it. Hey, Linny, said Bobby. We're about ready for you and Teresa, so why don't you do something like get into character? Dude, I am my character. That's where I tuned out. Bobby was coming down the ladder to have a conversation with Lenny. Parp was still screwing with the lights. I was trying to figure out the connection between libertarians and El Salvador. I mean, libertarians are nature's nutjobs, but I don't think they're in charge of any countries that I know of. And if there are any libertarians reading this, sorry about calling you nature's nutjobs, especially you libertarians not getting blowjobs from my wife. Except you know it's true. I mean, heroin should be for sale at Walmart? Really? Why shouldn't heroin be for sale? Parp asked me once. Um, because it eats the brain? You mean like gin? 
That's pretty much the gist of any conversation with a libertarian. You just have to smile and write it out and have the real conversations with people who know that gin is not heroin. So, do you believe in legalizing marijuana? Parp asked once. Yeah, I said. Medical marijuana? Why not? What's the difference between medical marijuana and regular marijuana? Doctor, I said. A doctor says you can have it. Why should it be illegal to buy drugs unless you pay a state-licensed doctor to write it down on a piece of paper from the magic pad? Asked Parp. If you want to see a doctor first, okay, nobody's stopping you, but why should you have cops on your doorstep if you want to buy drugs without getting a permission slip first? Because it's fucking dangerous shit out there, I said. Not everybody thinks first. They have to have a break on them before they do something dangerous. You know what's dangerous? Parp asked. Trusting doctors because they have the magic pad. Just ask Heath Ledger and Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah, you can't ask them. You know why? Their doctors killed them. Fuck it. Libertarians. A doctor killed Michael Jackson, so now let's put the cocaine back in Coca-Cola. So even though Lenny was pretty wrong about Guatemala and El Salvador, at least he knew that Parp was kind of a laughingstock. You have to admire that. After Bobby got down to talk to Lenny, he called over Teresa to have a chat. That's Teresa, the leading lady, who like, I don't know, had two words to say and a lot of dancing and silent acting while Lenny sings. And holy fuck, if you've seen the video you know already, what a sucktastic rack. That is not a trick effect. Those tits were not added in post. Definitely a gorgeous babe in spite of being a nasty bitch, which you'll find out about in a minute. I'd say she was late 20s, blonde hair, and a super dark complexion so you know the hair is dyed. But who the fuck cares, am I right? And the most tremendous cock gobbler lips in the cock gobbling biz. I already mentioned that Junior has CG lips, but not like these. It's like God had a heart on when he made her mouth. A set of warm, wet suction pillows for your dick. You see these lips and you're ready to forgive any other imperfection that is not morbid obesity. I walked up to her as she was coming down to the stage. We hadn't met yet, so my smile was at its shiniest. So, I gig cackled. <laughs> What's it like to be doing something Frank wanted to do? Huh? You know, the old chairman of the board wanted to do this song. Uh, no, he didn't. Oh, well, I have it on pretty good authority. Parp wrote the lyrics, and George Vader wrote the music. I don't know what the fuck you think you're talking about. Huh, I said, like she just pointed out that I wasn't good looking enough to speak to her. It stings. But you can't really argue. She pushed past me to get to the stage. When she was like five steps away from me, she turned around to give me one last you-are-a-bug look. I resented that. And from that moment on, I changed her name in my head. From Teresa to Maine Cunt. It helped. It still does when I think back on it, the cunt. Now get this. Just as this stuck-up bitch is about to hit the lip of the so-called stage in this so-called theater, in from behind me strides this new chick I hadn't seen before. She sneaks up on Maine Cunt and surprises her with a kiss on the cheek. Maine Cunt stops, smiles, and starts chatting with her pal. Now you have to remember that Whispers is waiting to talk to Maine Cunt. The director is waiting. The husband of Mondi McDade is waiting. 
She had her little conversation with me on the fly while she was moving, but her pal shows up and suddenly she forgets where she is and starts to chatter. So Bobby gives her this dull, holy shit, you can't be pulling this amateur crap look. She sees this look and turns away from her pal who gives her kind of a little wave while main cunt gets on the stage next to Lenny to rehearse the master shot. The pal has a goofy broad-brimmed hat on like she should be wearing a serape for Christ's sake, only she isn't because it's 75 in the shade in March, and in midtown Manhattan there is no shade, only hot pavement and guys pushing closets on wheels. She looks up at me for a sec, the pal does, I don't know why she looks up at me, but there I am and we make eye contact and... She makes a face and looks away. I'm thinking, you damn cunt, like I need that now. And then I'm thinking, fuck it, Parp is right. I gotta get a gym in my house and to fuck with what the wife says. And these fucking abs, I gotta do the diet and fuck what the wife cooks. I was frustrated. My shitty body. Chicks used to dig me. And now my wife is fucking ruining any chance I might have for a fuck on the side by making sure I never work out. And that I'm always pounding down steaks and roasts and cakes and beers. Cunt. Oh, I was so pissed off at the world. Only Tony Parp seemed to be my friend. Parp, who knew that wives were the enemy. Parp, who knew what I had to do to get my cock drained and who told me. And how did I repay him? By scoffing. Yeah, right at that second before I knew he had his eye on my wife's cock gobbler lips. I knew exactly why I was still hanging around Parp. It was so clear to me right then that I couldn't figure out why I ever had a hard time answering Jessica when she asked me. Parp was the anti-Chuck E. Cheese. It helped that he hated that shit that everyone else thinks is clean and wholesome, that he hates talking about it. Makes him more of a dividing line. Around Parp it was like I wasn't too old to live my dream without people giggling behind their hands or tisk-tisking or rolling their eyes. It's the way I felt when Depth Charge Rep was still going. It's the reason guys like me and Libby have Parp in our lives, even though we know he's an evil fuck. I have a wife who decided that letting me live my life instead of playing the role of the man in her domestic fantasy was a favor she was doing me. And when she got tired of doing me that favor, she sat me down and informed me that all I had to do to pay her back was give it all up and be a happy pension-earning bartender. Ask the twat if I could please put a gym in the corner of the living room or could we please put the family on a low-carb diet so daddy could lose some fucking weight? I'd be lucky if she didn't break down and cry. I'd get another long-distance call from her father telling me how disappointed he was. I grew up with dreams and now I have to beg some cunt's forgiveness if she overhears me talking about them in my sleep. If I'd listened to Parp a year ago, I'd have pecs and abs right now, I thought, instead of looking like such crap that hot chicks cluck their tongues at me. I wanted to split right then and run around the block. I wanted to go to a clean stretch of floor and do push-ups and sit-ups until I puked and whatever other exercise I had to do to look and feel pumped. But I just stood there and kind of looked at the space where main cunt's pal had been standing when she made the face at me. I still had that stupid cup of coffee in my hand and some stupid costume that made me look like some yuppie jerk with crappy abs. Hey, Pullmanheimer! It was Bang coming up the aisle. Pop is looking for you. So I found Parp. He was off the ladder now and standing on the stage just kind of looking at everybody. I looked crestfallen when he saw me. I know he noticed, but he didn't ask why, the callous prick. He just wanted Bobby to know where I was and told me not to wander too far away since they might need me in a minute. So Teresa said you wrote the lyrics and Viter wrote the music for this, I said. Oh yeah, you didn't know that? 
You said Sinatra wanted to sing it. I look like a, well, like a damn idiot. Parp laughed and said, I can't believe you believed that. So I'm the only one who thought it was a Sinatra tune? You're jerking me around, right? Wait, you really thought I was serious about Sinatra? Now, if you've seen the video, you know that they went way out of their way to make it seem Sinatra-esque. The jazzy tune, the finger snappy, and Lenny was pretty much doing a Sinatra impression. I'm just saying, I don't think I was the only person who might have been fooled. I really don't. Well, now Teresa thinks I'm a retard, I said. You told her Sinatra wanted to sing this song? He shook his head and laughed and stared at the floor like I was the guy you could always count on to break wacky. Hey, dude, you told me Sinatra wanted to sing it. I believed you. I'm not some dumb but lovable sitcom character. Just then, the assistant director, Dyke, waved her clipboard over her head and screamed, Rehearsal! Like somebody just stabbed her in the ass. People ran around for a few seconds, stopped, then a shaved head guy with headphones turned on an audio player and the melody of little round Jewish hats started playing over the theater loudspeakers. It was on a piano, just the melody, so Lenny's lips could be synced to it later in the studio. Then Lenny started to sing. It was a sunny old day, just a funny old day. I was making my way down to Broom Street when a breeze came by. Kind of ruffled my tie, blew some schmutz in my eye, there on Pitt Street. I lost my little round Jewish hat. It blew away just like that. I forgot to wear the little clip. Now it's swinging down the Soho Strip. I was running like heck. Could I broken my neck? How'd I step in this dreck? Somebody tell me. When next thing I knew, she was chasing it too. Straight out of the blue, she tried to help me. I lost my little round Jewish hat. It blew away just like that. I forgot to wear the little clip. Now it's swinging down the Soho Strip. Well, it blew down a lane. Then it blew down a drain. Then blew into a train. Now, man, it was moving. Wherever it sailed, she stayed on its tail. Uphill and down dale. Yeah, she was grooving. Now, hatless or not, it was almost Shabbat. Didn't want to get caught. Out at sundown, when who should appear, grinning ear to ear, with my little headgear, that she'd run down. She found my little round Jewish hat, and she brought it back. How about that? And I know she thinks I'm pretty hip, because we're swinging down the Soho Strip. She found my little round Jewish hat, and she brought it back. How about that? And I know she thinks I'm pretty hip, because we're swinging down the Soho Strip. Lenny and Main Cunt rehearsed it a couple more times. Smile at each other, Bobby said. Smile, Bang laughed, like Brita's a blowers. Nobody else laughed, it was that lame. Whispers gave him a look that said, Dude, we're trying to make a film here. Bang stopped laughing and scratched his head. The assistant director Dyke looked at him like she just caught him crapping on the sidewalk. Jesus, you clown, she said. We rehearsed it some more. All of us. Lenny and Main Cunt smiled at each other. Right then they're swinging down the Soho Strip. By the way, kids, there is no Soho Strip. If you think there is because you heard about it in the video, consider yourself a victim of one of Parp's many lies. That's right. He made it up so he'd have something to rhyme with clip, the lazy shit. 
So down on the Soho Strip, Lenny and Main Cunt walk past other people like me, and as it turns out, Main Cunt's pal with the string shoulder tank top and gaucho hat. Really, you could look at it in the video. There we are, see us? Only she took the gaucho hat off before they started shooting. I'm the guy next to her doing my famous nonplussed look. It's kind of a one-take double-take. Bobby thought it would be cool if me and the pal were pretending to be out on a date, which was okay with me. Gave me a chance to act suave. So there we are in front of the green screen, swinging down the Soho Strip, when we see this zany guy lurch for a small piece of felt pulled off his head by some fishing line. I gig-cackled on one take. <laughs> that could have been a mistake. But Maine Cunt's pal just smiled like we were on a date and she loved my strange little laugh. I was really starting to admire her ass. In the low-rise jeans with the black tank top that didn't quite reach all the way, she had a bare midriff and I could almost, almost see ass cleavage. Cut, Bobby said. Cut, the assistant director Dyke screamed. Paul, Bobby said. Don't be checking Cameron's ass when Lenny's hat flies off his head. It's, it's a character thing, I said. Yeah, he said. Notes from the Upper West Side, copyright 2013 to 2014, by Dan Wrench. Notes from the Upper West Side is a work of fiction. The people depicted in this work do not exist.